are listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 26, verses 69 through 75. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came up to him and said, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. And when he went out to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied it with an oath, I do not know the man. After a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it seemed like a good idea at the time. I ran across a short little article recently that talked about all the ways that people have been doing dumb things in U.S. national parks for more than a century. And it was a fascinating little observation of the fact that one of the problems that national parks and the rangers have is lack of respect or fear for wild animals, for natural surroundings, and somehow just as humans, we have this tendency to not really think that the warnings apply to us, right? Like, so, so people just ignore the signs, they go over the barriers because we just feel like I can handle it or I've got this under control or I know better. So, uh, for example, in 2016, two people actually picked up a bison cub and put it in their car with them. In uh, 2018, a tourist waded into a river full of grizzly bears who were feeding on salmon in order to get a picture with them. Do I need to tell you it was a guy? No word in the article whether there was drinking and a dare involved. Uh, But uh, while selfies may be new, human foolishness is not. In 1893, a man decided to take a couple of lady friends out into the area where the geysers were located, and they walk out into the field the mineral crust collapsed, and the guy fell into one of these scalding pools. Now, he survived with serious injuries, but man, uh, in the fall of 1927, Yosemite Park Rangers faced a crisis. Baby deer were disappearing. And an article in their monthly park journal noted this, Yosemite visitors seem to find it difficult to resist the temptation to take home a pet in the form of a mule deer fawn. Just so you know, mule deer can grow to be over six feet long and 300 plus pounds. Honey, look what I got, right? All of these stories remind us of one thing. We are not always very good judges of our own capabilities, the dangers of the world around us, or what we really should fear. And that, I think, is what's going on in this story that we're looking at today from Matthew's Gospel. The most outspoken, courageous, confident, bold follower of Jesus, essentially the leader of the group, ends up failing and falling harder than anyone. 
Peter believed that he had it all under control, that he could do it, that he was a faithful disciple. And the point is, if it could happen to him, there's lessons for us in it. And there's maybe a warning and an example for us. Now, in this season leading up to Easter, we're wanting to learn how to not just know the love of Jesus, but how to live into it and how to help that love grow out of us, how to follow Jesus in the way of the cross, in his self-giving love. That isn't just about forgiving us and us going to heaven one day, but it's about following Jesus in a path that looks like death and trusting that it leads actually to resurrection and life. So we're taking these Sundays leading up to Easter, looking at the last hours of Jesus' life from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26 is where we are today. So if you haven't already, you can turn there in your Bibles. We're on page 990 of one of these black Bibles in front of you or whatever you use to access God's Word. We want to know not just about the love of Jesus for us, but the love of Jesus through us and what it looks like to walk in the way of the cross with Jesus. And this morning, we're catching up with the story, kind of our story already in progress. If you remember from last week in verse 58, there was this note that Jesus has been arrested and taken to Caiaphas, the high priest, and Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest, to see what would happen, to see the end. Peter is creeping into this environment where Jesus is on trial and ends up hanging out with the people who are responsible for Jesus' arrest. And last week, we we looked at this trial, at all the injustice that's taking place and how Jesus stands up under this trial. And Matthew is wanting us to understand there are two Trials, in a sense, happening at the same time. Jesus is enduring a trial in the upper room with the religious leaders, and Peter is being questioned in the lower courtyard. Both of them are endangered. Both of them are feeling threatened. Both of them are being asked about their identity and their mission and their purpose. And Jesus is being questioned by important, powerful men, and Peter is questioned by a servant girl. Jesus is confident in his calling and his purpose and his mission, and and Peter's afraid and denies what he's really there for. Jesus stands firm in the truth, and Peter folds and starts lying. Jesus ultimately submits to suffering for the Father's purposes, and Peter pulls back and protects himself against suffering with Jesus. How does Peter get to this point? Strong, bold, confident Peter who loves Jesus and said he would follow him all the way, even to death. How did he end up in a place where this seemed like a good idea? That's what we want to look at this morning. To to look backwards a little at a whole string of decisions and choices that Peter made that led up to this point. Because this is about Peter really trying to avoid the way of the cross. And in his example, it's a literal cross that's looming on the horizon, right? Like arrest, humiliation, torture, death. But there are things in our lives that feel like death. Rejection, humiliation, fear of failure, 
maybe fear of being forgotten, the, the fear that my life won't have mattered for anything, the, the fear of loss of status, or who am I if I don't have this person or this job in my life, or will I have enough money to make it to the end? What if God won't provide for me? The, the fear of physical pain or decay is on the horizon maybe for all of us. We, we understand this story because I think we can see ourselves in it. The fear that Peter's wrestling with and, and maybe the choices that he makes. Because what happens to Peter is no accident. Not only has Jesus prophesied and promised that it was going to happen, but Peter is an active participant in bringing about the very failure and denial that Jesus had promised would happen. The whole string of bad choices that seemed like good ideas at the time. So that's what we want to spend our time unpacking today is a whole series of bad ideas and wrong choices that led him to this point. We're going to go backwards a little. In fact, if you go back to the garden in verse 30, at the Last Supper, Jesus has told his disciples that they would all desert him. When they had sung a hymn after dinner, they went out to the Mount of Olives and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. And of course, what is Peter going to say to that? It's Peter, right? No, not me. Not me, though everyone else will fall away, Jesus. I will never fall away. You know, just, just stop there for a minute. I mean, think about this. Jesus tells them all directly, you're in danger. You're all facing a massive failure. When the Lord tells you something incredibly important and immediately relevant, we ought to listen. That's Peter's first problem. He was talking when he should have been listening. But Peter doesn't listen. He just blurts it out. No, not me, Jesus. I, yeah, whatever. Not, not me. It, I mean, it's like... Maybe for us, when we hear Jesus say, in this world, you will have trouble. And there's this part of us that tends to think, man, I feel sorry for those people that that's true for. Because I'm thankful that that's not me, of course, right? That's a promise of Jesus, right? Like, stop, rewind, play that back, listen. Listen, pay attention. That, that's a promise, that's a reality check from Jesus about life in this world. Do you ever catch yourself skipping over things that God says because you convince yourself, well, that doesn't apply to me. I don't need to listen to that because I clearly do not fall into that category. Peter was talking. He should have been listening because Jesus is telling him, Peter, pay attention. And secondly, he thought he was better than that. Peter was convinced he was better than what Jesus was talking about. Again, back in verse 33, no, you know, those guys, I know you can't count on them, but me, Jesus, everyone else may falter and fail, but I'm your man. No, Peter, listen, this night before the rooster crows, you're going to deny even knowing me three times. Peter said, even if I have to die with you, I will never fall away. I will not deny you. Uh, my older brother and his wife had a first child when Amelia and I were still uh, newly married, and it was great in a lot of ways having uh, a slightly older couple to sort of watch and learn from and observe, you know, 
how they're doing parenting. And, you know, of course, with all our wisdom and experience, we could look at some things they did with our niece and decide, oh, you know, we, we would not do that. And so, you know, we sat down and came up with a list of 10 things that we will never do when we were parents. Yes, feel free to laugh at our arrogance and foolishness, right? Exactly. It, it can be so easy to look at other people's mistakes, other people's failures, the things that you think they did wrong or could have done better, and tell yourself, man, I would never do that. That's Peter, right? He's convinced that he is better than that. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, reflecting on all the temptations and, and that the Israelites face and the examples of their failures, if you think you are standing firm... Be careful that you do not fall. Peter believed he could handle the danger. I'm above the temptations. I, you know, I'm not in the crowd with those people. I'm not subject to the same weaknesses that are going to bring those poor suckers down. And then third, Peter relied on the wrong strength, of course, because he was convinced he didn't need any help. Peter thought he had it all under control, and so he didn't reach out or lay hold of the strength that Jesus was offering him. Remember in the garden, Jesus takes Peter and James and John, the, the three closest people, and Jesus is, says, I'm going to go off and pray. I want you to watch and pray. Stay here and watch with me, he said in verse 38. It's, it's a phrase that means be vigilant, pay attention, be on guard. It, it's, it's a call basically like to guard duty, not saying like, be on your guard for the soldiers that are coming, because down in verse 41, Jesus makes it clear, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Peter does not believe in the danger. He doesn't appreciate the reality of the spiritual battle that he is living in, because if he did, he would have taken Jesus' words to heart. He would have stayed and prayed and, and said, I'm tired, but I have got to stay awake and cry out to God for strength and for help for this battle that Jesus has put in front of me. And But he didn't see any need for it. Peter was convinced, I've got this. I can handle this. I don't need to stay up and pray. That's for other Christians, maybe. You know, sometimes we... Someone will try and encourage us or will encourage someone else saying, hey, you, I believe in you. You've got this. Or, man, I, you, I've got this. I can do it. You know, that might be true. And, and it might be encouraging in a, in a situation. But it might also be a foolish pride that keeps me from calling out to God for the strength that I actually need. Not mine, but his. Peter relied on the wrong strength, and then as a result, now getting closer to where we started, he followed Jesus at a distance. He followed Jesus at a distance when he should have been close to him. Remember, we started there back in verse 58. Peter was following him, but Jesus was off farther away. He kind of kept Jesus at arm's length, right? You ever heard of uh, imposter syndrome? I think we're probably familiar with that, right? It's this fear that we're, we're secretly inadequate or incompetent for the job and someone's going to find out. 
Someone's going to find out I'm really not qualified to be a pastor. I'm not qualified to be a parent. I don't know what I'm talking about. And they're going to ask a question, and the whole thing is going to, going to blow up. And in that, we're tempted to look for a source of strength or identity. You know, there's a part of us that can probably resonate with Moses or with Jeremiah when God calls them into a, this particular mission that he has for them. And Jeremiah says, you know, I, I don't know how to speak. I'm too young. And, and God's answer is not, oh, no, Jeremiah, you're capable and you're confident and I believe in you. That's what you need to know. No, his, his answer is your fears of inadequacy find their, their fulfillment, their, their response in me, not in you. What you need to know is who you are in me, not who you are. It, it, it's a reassurance that I am enough for you, God is saying to, to Jeremiah, to Moses, to Peter. And, and that strength comes from staying close to him, and finding our identity and our life in him. That's what Peter needed. He needed to stay close to Jesus. When, when the servant girl identifies him as a follower of Jesus, in, in verse 69, she says, You also were with Jesus the Galilean. If you think about it, wouldn't that be the greatest thing you could ever hear anyone say about you? I can tell you've been with Jesus. You, you look like him. You sound like him. You are obviously a Christ follower. It's not what Peter wanted to hear. That's what scared him. It should have been his wake-up call. This was his opportunity to say, yes, that's right. I am a follower of Jesus. That's who I am. That's my strength. That's my identity. That's my purpose. That's my role. That's the truest thing about me. And I want to be identified with him. I want to be close to him. Instead, he got close with a crowd of people who didn't know Jesus and didn't care who Jesus was. That's the next thing. He warmed himself at the enemy's fire. I love this phrase I heard from another pastor in this passage. Now, Matthew doesn't focus on this detail, but Mark, Luke, and John all mention that Peter was in the courtyard where there was a fire. It was possibly just a chilly spring morning. And he's warming himself there. But it's more than just physical warmth, right? What is a fire about? It, it, whether it's a campfire or a fire in the fireplace or the fire pit, it's about warmth, it's about safety, it's about comfort, it's about light in the darkness. Peter had no business looking for those things in the company of people who were enemies of Jesus. He's hanging around with people who had arrested Jesus, and, and that means he's putting himself in a position where not only is he not going to be helped or encouraged in the important ways, he's almost certainly going to be asked to go along with their view of things, to adopt their position and their perspective. Proverbs 13.20 says, Whoever walks with the wise will become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm or suffer ruin. Now, if, if you've been at faith for any length of time, I hope that one of the things that you've understood is that does not mean we isolate ourselves in, in a little kind of Christian bubble and 
you know, distance ourselves from the world. We go out into the world to engage people, but that's not what Peter is doing at all, right? He's, he's not gathering with these people to talk to them about Jesus, to love them, to help them, to reflect Jesus into their reality. He's there looking for safety and comfort and security and identity from these very people who are rejecting and judging and condemning Jesus. And it's worth us asking, where do I get my hope, my comfort, my sense of safety and peace when things are going bad around me? What do I turn to? What are the habits? What are the activities that I that I just sort of fall into. I can pick out my phone and just start scrolling aimlessly and two or three hours has gone by because it's just a way of checking out. Where am I looking for hope and security and peace? Because Peter was warming himself at the wrong fire. And that led to worrying about the wrong people's approval. I mean, that's really the whole core of what's going on here in verses 69 to 72. You were with Jesus the Galilean, and he denied it. I don't, I don't know what you're talking The oldest dodge in the book, right? Just feign ignorance. Maybe that'll work. I don't even know what you mean. And, and, and he just walks away to get out of the situation. And then another servant girl sees him, and she says to the bystanders, this man was with Jesus the Nazareth and, uh, of Nazareth, and again, he denies it. And, and maybe the saddest contrast in this whole scene is Jesus confidently, powerfully asserting his identity and his mission, knowing that it's going to lead to his death. Yes, it is as you say. I am the Son of Man, and you will see him seated at the right hand of power coming on the clouds of heaven. That is who I am. That is what I have come to do. And in contrast, Peter is hiding and running away from a servant girl because he's more worried about what those people who don't know or love or value Jesus think about him than what Jesus thinks about him and what he's said his life is supposed to be about. Peter doesn't want to be identified with Jesus if it means danger or rejection. And in a world that often doesn't understand or value Jesus or a lot of what he says, standing out as his follower may cost us. It may cost us other people's approval. Whose approval am I hungry for? Whose approval am I going out of my way to seek? Peter's looking for approval from the wrong people. And then, finally, Peter just would not stop digging. You know, you get that? You've heard the, the old analogy, right? When you're in a hole, what's the important thing to do? Stop digging. But Peter can't resist picking up a shovel and digging the hole deeper. Did you see the progression here? You were with Jesus, the Galilean, and he denied it. And he goes out to the entrance. Another, This man was with Jesus, and again, he denied it with an oath. 
I swear, I swear to you, I do not know the man. And after a little while, verse 73, the bystanders came up and said, certainly you are one of them for your accent betrays you. Again, you, you sound like one of those Jesus people. Maybe it's, you know, it's just like you sound like a Galilean. You're a country hick, right? Like that's as old as humankind. City people looking down on country people and vice versa. So that there's something there, but, but there's something deeper too. We would hope that would be true of us. You, you sound like one of those Jesus people. And then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. Now, there may be you know, what we consider vulgar language included in this, but, but the core of it, the real thing, is, Jesus is uh, Peter is invoking God's judgment on him. And, and we can think and you know, how that sounds in vulgar, crude language in, in English. May God condemn me to hell forever if I'm lying to you. I don't know him. Peter could not stop once he'd started down that road, but he could, couldn't he? Right? Like, I mean... It would be really hard and embarrassing. Once you've committed yourself to that path, now, now it's easy to start to feel like, well, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. I mean, I've already gone this far. There's no point in trying to, you know, turn the thing around and head in the right direction now. Now I'm just, I'm committed. I might as well go all the way and, you know, let the temptation, let the sin run its course. But Peter could have stopped at any point, right, and said, even after the first accusation, when the second servant girl comes up to him, he could have said, you know what? I was afraid and I lied and you're right. I was with Jesus. And I'm not ashamed to say that because he is the most important person in the world and he's the most important person in my life and I am with him. That would be hard, but it would be better than to continue digging. Peter starts deceiving and then denying and then finally condemning himself. And the more threatened he felt, the more he felt like he had to just keep going down that path. Peter is in a hole that he keeps digging, but the hope is that Jesus won't let him keep digging forever. Because that's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the passage. There's, there is a note of hope here, even though it may not sound like it when we first read it. There are three, three things closely connected to Peter coming to his senses in verses 74 and 75. Immediately, the rooster crowed. Now, I didn't grow up on a farm. Some of you maybe did, uh, but you know we probably at least know the image. No alarm clocks, right? Like the rooster was literally an alarm clock. And this is a wake-up call for Peter, a gracious provision of God sort of just with that noise, that sound, something to, to break the cycle that, that's meant to wake him up. And Peter remembered that rooster crow was was God's wake-up call. Suddenly it became clear to him how foolish he'd been, how confident he'd been in his own strength, how he'd cared so much about what these other people thought. And it brings to mind the words of Jesus that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all connect to this rooster crow. 
Verse 75, Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. It was the memory more than anything else, I think, that that brought Peter to his senses, that brought him back. Everything had happened just as Jesus had said. You're going to fail, Peter. But I think Peter probably also remembered what Jesus had said. After I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee and and I'll see you there. In, In other words, Jesus had known that Peter was going to deny him three times. Jesus knows that he's going to go to the cross and lay down his life. But he also knows that that's not the end of the story. That that his death is actually needed to to lead to resurrection and to life and to restoration for Peter. That, That death does not get the final word because Jesus will get the final word. And those hopeful words of Jesus had I think lodged themselves in in Peter's mind and at the right moment he remembered what Jesus said and yet it just broke him. He went out and he wept bitterly. Just, we get the image of racking sobs, just gut-wrenching brokenness. What he had done, how far he had fallen, how he had denied Jesus You know, in a few verses, Matthew is going to point out uh, Judas goes out and and weeps too, but his tears are different. They're not tears that are founded on repentance that lead to hope and life. They're tears of hopelessness and despair. Peter's tears led to repentance and hope. Not all tears are a sorrow, as Tolkien said. They can be good if they lead to repentance and devotion and renewed commitment to Jesus, just as the psalmist David says in Psalm 51, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. These are tears that actually led to life and to healing. In fear, you see, Peter had tried to avoid a cross that he really believed was going to lead to suffering and death, but the fact of trying to avoid that cross is what actually led to suffering and the deepest grief Peter had ever known. And that grief was actually a good grief that led to life coming out of it because what died was pride and self-confidence and impulsiveness and the fear of other people, and the life that God brought out of it was humility and renewed love for Jesus and confidence in him and reliance on him and a willingness to use even this painful experience to help others. It's a story of foolishness. It's a story of fear. It's a story of failure. But it's also a story that should encourage us. Because there is hope here, even though it maybe doesn't seem as obvious as in other places. Because this is a story for all of us. It's a story for everyone who's facing temptation and the the pull of circumstances and desires that are trying to lead us away from Jesus and and to get at a distance from him so, so that we can go follow after something else. You feel weak and confused like Peter. Maybe you feel backed into a corner and threatened like Peter. But you don't have to give in. You can actually 
stop and get off and come back to Jesus and, and look to him for strength and hope and power. Don't rely on your own strength like Peter did. Maybe you have given way. Maybe you've blown it. Maybe even this week you've said or done something and you feel the guilt, you feel the shame, you feel the weight of it. You know, maybe at times you can look back at ways that you've denied Jesus by being silent when you had an opportunity to speak up, to say something, to even just step into a spiritually meaningful conversation with someone. But you held back because of fear. You ended up someplace where you shouldn't have been. Maybe you even realize you're in a relationship that you suspect deep down isn't really healthy for you. And some of us know about weeping bitter tears. <laughs> and maybe it feels like God is far away and he's disappointed and maybe you're embarrassed, maybe you're ashamed of the things that you've done that got you in the mess that you're in. Don't, don't miss the hope that there is in Peter's story, because think of this, how, how do we have this story? Who was there that knew how to relate this story? Yeah, I know the Holy Spirit inspires the Bible. Peter was there. Peter's the only one that knows this story, and Peter made sure that every time the story of Jesus was told, in all of the gospel accounts, his failure is right there. For us, the story of his relying on himself and listening to the wrong people and trusting in his own strength. I don't know if I would be willing to, you know, sort of write down for all time and history my greatest failure. I don't know that any of us want to do that. But Peter is sharing this with us as hope and encouragement. You've fallen short. You've blown it. You've failed. You've wandered away. You've been trusting your own strength. Maybe you've even denied even knowing Jesus. But look at what happened to me. Don't despair because if God can forgive me, if God can offer me hope, he can forgive you. If God can help me, he can help you. If God can rebuild me, he can rebuild you. That's what Jesus does. That's what he's come for. It means it's hope for all of us, for, for the best of us, for the worst of us, the strongest, the weakest. If you've fallen, he can pick you up again. If you're broken, he will put you back together. If you've failed, he will pick you up and set you back on the right path. But the story is also here to keep us from having to head down the path that Peter went down. The way of the cross that Peter was trying to avoid, that, that we sometimes try to avoid, it, it feels like death. There's something that feels like it's going to be the worst thing, and yet God redeems those things. Those are often the very things that God uses to bring resurrection and life in us and through us. So don't despair. Take heart. Trust Jesus. Believe the good news of his work and his hope and his power and follow him in the way that looks, looks like it will end in your ruin, but if God is ordaining it and he's working it, he will bring life out of it to help you walk in the way of the cross just like Jesus did so that you can love like he did and know life like he has. Let me pray for us.
Father, thank you for uh, oh, the, the bold honesty of Peter and these gospel writers and the encouragement that this story gives to us. Jesus, you know where we are weak, where we are tempted, where maybe some of us are even keeping you at arm's length, wandering off the path, trusting in our own strength. Or maybe even now we're, we're wrestling with whether it's worth following you. Oh, Jesus, pour hope and encouragement into our hearts and help us to follow you. Help us to trust that what you intend for us is life. That's what you've come to give us, Jesus. Better than any life that we can build or have for ourselves. Life in you. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, strengthen us, encourage us. We pray in your name. Amen.